I woke up this morning, and the first thing I thought about was the fact that in eight hours, I was going to get to go down the TV rabbit hole with my good friend Harry Bartosiak in Chicago. My name is Jim Cyan. I'm in New Orleans. Harry's in Chicago, and we haven't done this in a while. How are you? Well, I'm just pleased to be here, and thank God. I mean, I know you were in a battle for for your health here um, uh, after taking a big tumble. I don't want to give up your health concerns or secrets on on uh, national podcasts, but are you better? I know you know you gave us all a scare there. You're back in action. I know we've already done an episode since then, but uh, I'm just grateful, uh, Jim, for you and that you're here and that we're able to talk about important frivolous things like television again. Well, I got to tell you, you know, I did break my wrist uh, about uh, seven weeks ago, had surgery, still not back to full speed, uh, working with the band. I actually emceed one of our shows on Sunday. I don't think I told you that. Uh, no. No, and it was real good because the band would play, and then I'd say, that was Ryan Burridge on the clarinet. That song was a clarinet marmalade written in 1929, recorded originally by Sidney Bechet, whatever, you know. So it, it really kind of yeah. classed up our, our performance, and everyone seemed to really like it. And I got to oh, see yeah. everybody and, uh, you know, have a couple of cocktails. So it was hmm. a really good day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So hey, hey, wait a minute. Yeah. This could be a door opener for you. You know... One of the shows, you know how we always say that the show, old good shows get ruined because they did a reboot? Right. Right. What about a reboot of the Lawrence Welk show? You were able, you've got a natural talent well. for emceeing. Basically, at the end, all he did was hold that thing and say, wonderful, wonderful. And uh, you could do like a Dixieland version of that. You could call it uh, the... And Dulé Welk show well, or something you, like no, that. No, you know what? We could actually take my original kids idea and just make it for adults. Mr. Tuba's Fun Time Band for Adults. Come on in here. Come on in here. Mr. Tuba's Fun Time Band. Come on in here. Come on in here. It's the best band in the land. If you want to play some music and have a fun time, come on along. Or yeah, or Mr. Tuba's really fun time band, you know. Uh, right, perfect. I mean, there's no show right now that allows people the chance to do ballroom dancing at all, except for Dancing with the Stars. What about all the common people? You know, they want a chance to get out there and trip the light, fantastic. And I so got to tell you, we had probably. 12 to 15 couples that came out to Moshele and Metairie and they were dancing to the you know slower numbers so you're mm. exactly right and it wasn't just uh wasn't just older people we had some people in their 20s and 30s some of the dance clubs came out so it was really great yeah. maybe you're on to uh -huh. something renaissance okay there you go I'm just trying to help because you always have to have a backup plan you could fall and break the other wrist and then you're <laughs> oh, really <God>. screwed <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine oh god <laughs> Oh, and I would just feel like such a dork having to admit that to everyone. Oh, you know what? I broke the other wrist. So, Although, right. the other one wouldn't be as bad because I did break the right wrist, and obviously I'm right-handed. I played the tube with the right hand. But let's talk about down the TV okay. rabbit hole because yes. I want to talk about good stuff. Our uh, yes. Facebook page is Jim and Harry TV. We're available on Anchor, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, about another half dozen platforms. And I got to tell you, Harry... 
I want to mention our good buddy Craig Chrisman back in Bonita Springs, Florida, number one weed man in all of Southwest Florida. He he, he has listened to our episodes not just once, but multiple times. He was actually quoting different things from different podcasts to me as we were going back and forth on Facebook. So, Craig, God bless you. God bless. That is astonishing. But God bless. And I'm so appreciative. Thank you, sir. He, he actually remembered He remembered the Thanksgiving episode where you said, oh, here comes end stage Andy Griffith showering the crowd with rich crackers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's, well, I'm glad he remembered because I didn't. But that's uh, I'll take credit for it, even if the, it was a figment of his imagination. But uh, I can't wait to get at it today. And hopefully Craig will enjoy the program. And, and uh, I know, you know, I used to joke all the time where we only have about four listeners. But uh, I've been seeing some good, some good reviews. Before oh, you know it, no, we're going right. to be up to double digits. Yeah. No, the numbers are way up. And, I, you know, I don't want to talk shop. But, uh, no, we have a significant audience now. And I feel very good about it. I think we've gotten the word out there through Facebook and through other platforms. And, well, it's fun for us, for the very least, at the very least. I mean, even as I was uh, recovering from surgery, I was listening to our favorite co- uh, podcast, Gilbert and Frank, uh, Gilbert Colossal's, mm-hmm. uh, Gilbert Gottfried's Amazing Colossal Podcast. But I also listened to some of our episodes, and I got to say, I really enjoyed it. So I'm glad that they're out there. I'm glad people are listening. And what we do every week when we do one of these, we pick two TV shows that affected us one way or another, and we just talk about them. Sometimes they're good shows. Sometimes they were important shows. Sometimes they were silly shows that we watched on Mm -hmm. Saturday morning or whatever. And speaking of silly shows, did you know, and it's going into its third season, there is actually a show on TV right now, and I I, I think it's called, hang on, let me check my notes here because I couldn't believe it uh, uh, when I I heard it. And, of course, I'm trying to do this with one hand, uh, Mm. my cell phone. But I typed it into my phone. It's called... Lego Masters. Are, are you familiar with it? I think I saw an advertisement for it and immediately decided I had zero interest. They actually build things using Lego, and that's a yeah. TV show. Yeah. I, I I did see, yeah. I mean, I wasn't surprised by it. I mean, there's too many TV shows. There's thousands of TV shows nowadays. That's one of the reasons that we relish and cherish the old days when we didn't have, we had damn lucky if you had three channels plus UHF to choose from. One UHF channel. Even though there were two, you couldn't get that other one. <laughs> right. The other even, one. Even with the tinfoil. And the other one was usually a Spanish station. So it really it was yeah. irrelevant to you. So. Yeah. So, but tell me about the, Le- I mean, are you, are you suggesting that this is a good thing? The Le- no! building Lego shit? No, no I, I yeah, only saw 10-second no. promos. I was watching Tubi, and they have the little 10-second promo come yeah. up, and I think it's Will Arnett. They said, hey, Lego Master is coming back for a third season, and I'm like, they made it three seasons? And so I looked it up, and yeah, they just build stuff using Legos, and that's the show. It's like too much TV is like having invasive carp in a river or something like that. You know, it <laughs> swallows up all the good fish. And this is exactly where there's too many podcasts, too. Oh. If we could go out and weed out, we would be big stars by now. I'm going to want to get back into patting ourselves on the back. But I'm just saying there's too much. Too much is not a good thing. And so that's why it's better, as I've said many times, and I mean it, it's better just to live in the past as long as you can. Well, unfortunately... 
I've come to the conclusion that that's exactly where I live. I'm playing with a Dixieland <laughs> band in New Orleans. I'm watching, <laughs> listening to the Jack Benny radio show sometime on YouTube. So yeah, you, radio program, radio program. You're right. Good point. Hey, did you know they're Stop bringing so back? Modern. They're bringing back Frasier. They're doing a reboot of Frasier. Have you heard about that? I thought he died after hosting Bozo Circus uh, back in the late 80s. That's Frazier Thomas from Chicago. Oh. I'm talking Kelsey Grammer, oh, yeah, Frazier Cream. Yes, yes. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. There, there's a promo <laughs> out there that's hinting at the reboot, and they don't tell you whether it's going to be a comedy or a drama. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's basically Kelsey Grammer full screen, and then they like fade to. What was the Niles character? What was the uh, David Hyde Pierce? They go to David Hyde Pierce. Yes. He was on Holloway High. It was his first show. That's right. <laughs> the fictitious Holloway High that you came up with and I thought was a real show, you bastard. Yeah. yeah. And then there was Daphne, who was the attractive uh, British, basically, maid or housekeeper. Right. Just taking care of John Maloney. Who has passed? If I'm correct, I don't want to kill the man no. prematurely, but I believe he passed. And then there was um, Roz. I don't know her real name. Perry Perry name. Gilpin, I think, was her name. Oh, very good. Yeah, and um, there was somebody at the radio station too, like uh, uh, workers. Well, they had a couple. Well, Roz. Yeah, they had yeah, a couple. Roz was one. They, they had Kenny, who was the GM for a while. He was the heavy set guy. They had a female oh, yeah. who was the GM, and yeah. then they had Bulldog, but they got rid of Bulldog after about two or three seasons oh, that's for whatever right. reason. Bulldog, but, yeah. That, yeah. But, it was a one-trick pony. Yeah, it'll be one interesting to see what happens with this reboot, because they say if they're going to go, uh, and, and again, it's just kind of in the rumor stage right now, but they're looking at maybe the beginning of next year. So just something to keep an eye out for, and if you, if you hear anything about it, let me know. Hey, what the hell? Give it a shot. That show is all about the writing anyway, Yeah. so it's not like a bunch of grown-up kid you know where it was a show about kids and now they're grown up and they have their own kids i mean nobody wants to see that shit uh usually uh but uh i'd say give it a shot yeah why not all right we're gonna start in chicago with harry bartosiak because i have a feeling you've got a really good show for this broadcast what are you gonna feature i have uh a national treasure it's nothing short one of the most iconic shows ever. And if you want to live in the past, I would invite you to stroll down, matter of fact, run down memory lane, wallow in this show, and in its simplicity, its positive vibes, its peaceful nature, and gentle wisdom. And I'm talking about Leave It to Beaver. Oh, yes. What a wonderful oh. idea. Good one. Barbara Billingsley, Hugh Beaumont, Tony Dow, and Jerry Mathers as the Beaver. Excellent. Six seasons, 1957 to 1964. And, of course, we just lost a national treasure in his own right, Tony Dow. Yeah. And the only surviving main cast member now is Jerry Mathers. So I thought it would be appropriate to talk about Leave it to Beaver. Um, I really loved watching Leave it to Beaver because it was ubiquitous when we were kids, meaning it was on everywhere all the time. It was one of those shows. Yep. Yeah, it's older than the Brady Bunch and stuff like that, but it was on, right? I mean, it wasn't wasn't hard to find, and it was in the rotation for people of our age, so to speak, and it's still on today in many different countries and many different languages. 
certainly you can find Leave it to Beaver without much trouble. Um, 1957, it started off uh, with a production company. I'm going to give you some, you know, we, we know a lot about Leave it to Beaver and I'll talk about, uh, you know, the, the meat of it, but there's a few oddball facts that are kind of interesting. Right. They did a pilot of it in 1957. It was called A Small World. And it starred Barbara Billingsley as June Cleaver, right. Jerry Mathers as the Beaver. But then there was some other kid that played Wally. And there was a uh, Ward Cleaver. Mr. Cleaver was played by a guy named Max Weatherspoon. Okay. Uh who was an actor who later was in, you remember the movie 16 Candles? Um, sure. When Molly Ringwald is having her 16th birthday and the two sets of grandparents come over. And uh, he, he was the one, there was one that had um, the foreign exchange student, one grandparents, they had Long Duck Dong. Uh, the other one was Max Weatherspoon, who would laugh and tell bad jokes and was farting, and stinking up the bathroom and stuff like that. Okay. And, uh, and he was also in the movie 10 you know, with Bo Derek. Right. And, and so he played a priest. Uh, anyway, I just remember. So anyway, they decided um, what happened was after they shot the pilot. Oh, by the way, also in the pilot as Eddie Haskell, although he had a different name, but the Eddie Haskell type character was a young boy named Harry Shearer. Who you oh, may know. come on. I, I don't. Yes. I have that. Now, I know Harry Shearer yeah. did child acting. He actually was on the Jack Benny program. Yeah, he was? Okay, yeah. This is what I'm... Oh, Harry Shearer, 1957. It's about six months before airtime for Leave it to Beaver was in... Uh, I think it's called It's a Small World, something like that. But you can look it up. There's wow. pictures of him and everything. And it looks it looks pretty much just like you would imagine Harry Shearer as a kid to look like. Boy, see, now, if I were so one I, of his friends, I would tease him about that mercilessly. I would be like, <laughs> ah, you know, you could have been Eddie Haskell, but now nah, you blew it. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So what they did, they blew out Wally, uh, the kid who was playing Wally, because he was getting too big already, even at the pilot. Okay. And so they had auditions. Uh, they locked in Jerry Mathers as the beaver, but they had auditions for Wally. And um, uh, Tony Dow went along with, he was a, he grew up in California. I don't think his parents were in show business or anything like that. And he went along with a friend to the audition. He was an athletic kid, and he was a swimmer and a diver. And anyway, he didn't expect. He just went ahead and tried out anyway, and he got it. Wow. I saw an interview with him later, later in life, where he kind of, you know, he was saying, gosh, you know, I'm not sure. I would have done this again if I knew all that was involved, how it was going to swallow up my life. But he was like, I was like 12 years old. I was having a burger and a shake. Uh, they came in and told me, you got the part. I said, oh, okay. And there goes my life. That's what he You said. know what? I think I read <laughs> one of those interviews after he passed because they were all being yeah. recycled on Facebook. Yes. I remember him saying something like, I had no idea what was going to happen for the rest of my life. Yeah. We might as well just say that what happened with, Tony was, he says, and of course I have no reason to doubt it. I take him at his word, you don't, uh, but that he really did have a lot of depression after the show. You, we talk all the time about the actors that don't appreciate, you know, the roles and they feel they're typecast and all that. Well, here it's a little different because he had huge stardom and, you know, by the time he was uh, 16, 17 or 18, whatever it was, 
all of a sudden, I mean, he didn't get many roles after that at all because he was typecast. And here he's just trying to strike out and make it as a, a man. And even in real life, he's basically saying that, you know, he couldn't escape being a Wally Cleaver. But later, when he was about 40, he started to really appreciate, you know, what a great show it was and how, you know, I, I, he needs to be grateful. But he suffered from clinical depression, so wow. it was hard to... You can't just say, oh, cheer up and stuff like that. And so he had cancer as well. He lived a decent um, oh, amount. Oh, no. He was 77. Yeah, no, he had a good yeah. life. I mean, you know, 77, yeah. so, that's, that's not bad. I don't, I don't want to say that he had a sad life. I'm just saying he he did have those challenges, but um, but it was okay in the end. I mean, he, he did well. And it was apparently a super nice guy. Uh, one of the things I found, I'm going to tell you right now, spoiler alert. Right. Hugh Beaumont, there were Hugh, no, Hugh Beaumont was an asshole. That's what you're going to tell me. Barbara Billings, yeah. she was a drunk. She was a whore. What? Yeah. No? No such thing. Oh, okay. These people were, were golden. I mean, there was no such family in real life as the Cleavers, okay? It was idealized. But let's just get back to it for a minute, though. So, um... But but they were all nice. So what happened with okay. Hugh Beaumont was, you might as well do the auditions, right? So the auditions is, in 1957, you know, Jerry Mathers had already auditioned for and been accepted as the Beaver, and um, I guess they hadn't ca- they did the pilot. They hadn't cast the regular show yet for sure, and so you can go online. You can see this on YouTube. Um, it was a cemetery, a mortuary in L.A. I forget what it's called. Did this big this movie? It was like a ten minute movie, and they hired Hugh Beaumont uh, to play like this um, father of a kid. And this this kid who's now grown up in the movie writes this letter about thanks, Dad, for teaching me to keep my affairs in order. And he goes on this long like ten minute speech through uh through the uh, the prism of uh, Hugh Beaumont reading this letter from the kid about how he's picked out his gravesite for him and his family. Yeah. And Jerry Mathers plays this kid who's writing the letter as a little kid. So you see Hugh Beaumont and Jerry Mathers interacting like and um you think it's oh my god it's leave it to no it came before leave it to be but they didn't know anything about it. So what happened was um at this movie at the rehearsal with this this movie about a mortuary because right. Hugh Beaumont was like down on his luck. He was saying, "I'm out of work here. All this television stuff, the movie theater, a lot of the movie studios aren't shooting anymore. Right. There's some going out of business." And so Jerry Mather's mother said, "Hey, we just got a part on this television show. They're shooting. It's called Leave It to Beaver, or whatever they were calling it at the time. I think it might be too late, but you might want to ring it up and get it a try, uh, the, casting the father." And he did, and he got the part. So he got tipped off by Jerry Mather's mother after making this cemetery movie. So wow, it's really boring this movie, but it's so interesting to watch. Because you're seeing how that all unfolded, I would recommend a quick uh, YouTube rabbit hole trip. No, you. that's cool. I love that stuff. I love the the, the precursor yeah. stuff to big shows. So cool. So they get they start shooting, and night it I think it was September or something or October 1957. The production company is is for season one is Gomalco Productions. Ever heard of it? No, never heard of it. G O M A L C O. Okay. Parent. Apparently, um, it, it's the an amalgamation of two names. The first name being Goble. You know who that was for? Georgie, little Georgie Goble. Sure, he was big back then in the fifties. He was real popular. Yeah, 
So he and a buddy, Malcolm or something, uh, decided to have a production company, and they produced the first year or two of Leave it to Beaver. Later went to Republic Studios and Universal Studios. The show was on CBS for year one, and then for one, I don't know why, but the rest of the time, the the next five years, it was on ABC. This was classic black and white TV, one camera, 30 minutes, right? The whole time. They never varied from that. Um, One of the keys is it was one of the very first shows, probably the very first show, written from a child's point of view. There were other TV shows up till this date, like Ozzie and Harriet, you know, stuff like that, where they're about a family with kids, but never from the kid's point of view. So that was one of the really groundbreaking things uh, with Leave it to Beaver. Probably the most groundbreaking if we're talking about TV history. Um, the other groundbreaking thing was, you know how today they make a big deal with successful shows about having a finale, uh, right? They didn't do that a lot for shows. But here with Leave it to Beaver, after six seasons, they did purposely have a finale and it's hard to find you got to pay a dollar 99 for it on amazon oh come on it's called really yeah yeah it's called uh it's season six episode 39 family scrapbook it's nothing special but they did it they looked through the scrapbook together the whole family and reminisce you know on past episodes and things that happened so it's not super remarkable for how great it is but it is historic because they number one they did it. They planned the finale. They knew it was going to be the last episode. And also, you got to love these people that did this show because they let the show die a natural end. They did not jump the shark. Right. There was no cousin Oliver. Yeah. There's nobody had it. They didn't get a new baby or something like that. What happened instead was they realized Wally is going to college. Beaver's going into high school. They're going to be separated. It would be too unnatural. And plus, Jerry Mathers wanted that go to real high school and stuff. So anyway, I give him a lot of credit for not jumping the shark. Now, in that final episode, and again, I don't remember this verbatim, but I seem to remember in the final episode, Lumpy and Eddie Haskell get married. <laughs> no? no? Yeah, you. that must have been... Um, the uh, prologue, the one that came after that, the unauthorized one that you could see in certain theaters only. Maybe that was a mad TV uh, skit. I don't know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, uh, they did have... Uh, so I'll, I'll get to the skits in a, in a minute. Mm-hmm. But uh, And I know this we're not rolling in the aisles with laughter on this one. But I th- find this stuff interesting because it's such a historical show. Um, the sponsors... Uh, were, here was another groundbreaking thing. I don't know how groundbreaking it was, but I didn't think this happened as much previously as it does now. But GE was one of the big sponsors, and so was Chrysler. And so you better believe, if you watch these shows, that on the appliances, GE is featured prominently. Really? You can see that. There's product placement. Right. Plus, uh, Ward Cleaver drives a Plymouth Fury, for sure. Um Ralston Purina was another big sponsor, but I didn't I didn't think they had a dog, so I'm not sure okay. they were. See, maybe they played gravy train commercials during you know the the breaks or something right. like that. Now here's something you wouldn't think: this was one of the more expensive television shows to shoot. It cost between thirty and fifty thousand dollars an episode. Sometimes fifty was the max. The one when Beaver gets caught in this billboard that has a giant cup of soup, simulated cup of soup. 
He goes up in there to figure out how come there's steam coming from it. They had to build like two of these. Right. But it was very expensive because they did so many outdoor scenes. Oh. So you see him walking around to and from school. Yeah. That I guess that's what drove up the expense. Um, but they didn't cancel it for that reason. The show did just fine. It was never in the top 30. It never won any awards of any kind. Yet, as I said, and I think, I'm guessing you're not going to disagree, it's one of the all-time classics. Time Magazine ranked it one of the best TV shows ever. It was an unranked list, but I don't know where you would rank it. But it's definitely, it's definitely, I'm not going to, there's no Mount Rushmore for TV. We'd have to have too many. But, I mean, it's a big one, wouldn't you say? I think it's very representative of the Eisenhower era after World War II, where people just wanted normalcy, a 3-2 house with a new car and a father who, you know, wore suits, and on the weekends when he mowed the lawn, he wore a sweater, which I think Ward Cleaver did. You know, I mean, just a great snapshot of idyllic 1950s life. Well, let's talk about that for a second. You know, Barbara Billingsley, Mrs. Cleaver... Always had pearls on, no matter what yep, she was doing. Yep, you're right. She would be in the kitchen. She'd had a full a dress, uh, apron, pearls, no matter what. And yeah, Ward, when he came home, he would keep his suit on. At the very most, he would take the jacket off, and not usually. And he'd take the jacket off sometimes and replace it with a sweater, but the tie never left. And I thought to myself, I should have asked my parents this, because they were around and you know, at that time right. and, uh, and adults, did people really do that? I think I did ask my mom and she said, no way that anybody wear pearls. <laughs> oh. But I remember but my did- dad coming home when he worked for the state of Illinois, he would come home in his suit and within 30 seconds, his hand was ripping at that tie and, <laughs> and Auntie Darrell was handing him a tumbler of vodka from the freezer. So that was my yeah. leave it to beaver. Well, so I think we saw in the sixties, uh, our late 60s, early 70s, the TV dads did not keep the suit in. Right. Like, I kind of remember Darren Stevens getting out of his suit pretty quick, and we talked about Brian Keith in our show meeting, and uh, I don't think he had a suit on in the apartment too much. But when you go back a little before that, uh, I think a lot of times Fred McMurray would keep his suit on, or he at least had a sweater. Yeah, he was, you know, when he's no, smoking he, the pipe. Yeah, he was a good sweater man. He, he, was, he, was, he yeah. was rocking that Dean Martin... What do they call it? Alpaca sweater? Is that the right term? Yeah. Okay. And they all had that or a suit. It was either the shirt yeah. and tie or the sweater. Like Mr. B from Hazel. He yes, he was another uh, one. You're exactly. I remember him wearing a lot of green sweaters. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Mr. B. Uh, Gidget. Uh, her dad. I remember. I don't watch that show that much, but I remember the dad. Of course, uh, the most iconic suit wearer. Never, never gives it up is uh, Oliver Wendell Douglas from Green Acres. All that's, <laughs> that's right. slightly different vibe. One of the other, um, well, let me just talk about. So Tony Dow, we talked about a little bit. Jerry Mathers seems like a nice guy by all accounts. There was a rumor after Leave it to Beaver was over that he was killed in Vietnam. Um, and, of course, he wasn't. Uh, but there's a really funny um, uh, bit on SNL. You can you can Google this too with Bill Murray, like from the early days of SNL right. when he has Jerry Mathers and uh, Tony Dow on, and he's interviewing them, and he he said it was a, there was a rumor that you were killed in Vietnam. Is that true? You know, he's asking. It's just it's the interaction is funny. So but, wait a minute, it was um, the real Tony Dow and real Jerry Mathers on us. Yeah. Wow, that's cool. 
they weren't they were on, they had them like on a video screen and there was a live there was just on weekend update they weren't really guests on the show oh okay all right yeah but after the show they did lots of appearances like that and as a matter of fact i think in the early 80s 81 82 something like that they were on family feud uh the cast of um Leave it to Beaver, which included Ken Osmond. And by the way, Ken Osmond played Eddie Haskell. And I'm not getting into all the, the different shows because we all know Leave it to Beaver, but I like to talk about the people. And Ken Osmond, apparently, according to Jerry, was a super sweet guy also. So once again, wow. um, I couldn't dig up any dirt. The most dirt I dug up... Oh, let me get back to the family feud. Guess who was on there? There was Barbara Billingsley, Jerry Mathers, Ken Osmond, Tony Dow, and who would you think would be also on the show? Remember, Hugh Beaumont had passed by this time. Who else would they put on the family feud panel? Oh, my God. I'm going to guess because I think it would be the greatest guest of all time, Richard Deacon. That's exactly (laughs) right, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) Rob, yeah. Yeah, so he appeared on the Dick Van Dyke Show as Mel Cooley and as Lumpy Rutherford's father right. on Leave It to Beaver at the same time. Yeah, that's a, he was a hardworking guy. Did you know that when Mel Cooley, I mean Richard Deacon died yeah. in 1984, he was only 62 years old? That's funny because he's one of those guys that always looks the same in everything. I mean, yeah. you'll see him in you know movies, for God's sake, and he looked the exact same. He looks, I, I went down the rabbit hole, you know, with the pictures. I always type in Richard Deacon last photo or whatever. I want to see, you know, backtrack and see what the, he looked the same even right before death. And he was on, there was a reboot, spoiler alert, uh, called uh, Still the Beaver or something, Return to Beaver. I got it. Yeah, no, I think it was Still the Beaver. I think it was Still the Beaver. Yeah. 1983. And Richard Deacon was on it. He was on the movie, wow. and then he was going to be on the new show, but he died. So he up and, you know, that, that ruined the plan. Uh, he had congenitive heart disease. But yes, on fam- I saw there's a picture online of Family Feud. I'm like, yeah, there they are. Wait a minute. It's Mel Cooley. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I'm definitely putting that on the Facebook page. I just love to see Richard Deacon yeah. there. Oh, classic. Right, so so going back to Hugh Beaumont, yeah. I did try to dig up some dirt on Hugh Beaumont because on SCTV they did a spoof, nobody does it like SCTV, of Leave it to Beaver, like where they had John Candy as the beaver. You know, he's this big, huge guy, and uh, he gets mad at Eddie, Eddie Haskell, and uh, Whitey, his friend, gives him a gun, and so Beaver kills, shoots Eddie Haskell to death, you know, and they show... Uh, Hugh Beaumont, it's a, it's like a dark, leave it to be, Hugh Beaumont is a big drunk, uh, you right. know, like, and I had heard somewhere that he was a big drinker. So anyway, I tried to research this. I couldn't find any evidence of it at all. As a matter of fact, all I found was person after person saying that he really was like, uh, you know, a kind person. And he was, as his daughter said, he was like that in real life, that he didn't yell and scream. You, you know, he, he was... There would be meetings with Dad where we would have to go talk to him. Now, Beaver, you and Wally know well that you don't put an alligator in the toilet. So you're going to get a swift kick in the ass. But, I mean, he would basically talk everything through. He was a hard worker. He was from Kansas. He was an actor. He was also a lay minister. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. He, he was in some, like, detective show before. But, you know, not making it real big. But he was known as an actor. Um, and then after, get this, after Leave it to Beaver, 
he's probably about 50. Here's what's depressing. When that last episode of Leave it to Beaver, the family scrapbook, right. Hugh Beaumont was 53 years old, okay? Uh, remember, Richard Deacon is only like five years older than we are when he died. You know, So it's like, cool, I don't want to see that. But anyway, uh, Hugh Beaumont lived about 20 years longer. And afterwards, he was on a variety of shows like Big Valley, Petticoat Junction. And he was on, get this, he was on Mannix three different times over a two-year period as different characters. Wow. See, I watch so, Mannix, and I've never seen him. I'd love to see Hugh Beaumont on Mannix. That would be great. Okay. Well, you can see him in about two minutes, 50 seconds, by uh, going on YouTube and put Hugh Beaumont Mannix. They have a, a, a conglomeration of all of his appearances. So now, wait. D- d- uh, does he play a heavy at any point? Does he play a bad guy? He plays like a, yeah, kind of a ho- corporate heavy. What? A couple, one of them, I think two of them, he's on Manic's side. Like, you know, he's like the boss or he's the head of some company that needs to co-op, needs Manic's help to get him out of a mess. And then one, he was a heavy uh, where he's, uh, Manic's realized, he said, I thought I could trust you. This is when some other, one of his uh, henchmen is trying to shoot Mike Connors. By the way, Manic's, another one of those shows where the introductory scenes shows him jumping on a car, <laughs> yes. rolling over a car hood. I mean, how many different shows do that? TJ Hooker, Mannix. I think even Cannon did that. Other did he? No, he dented the car. No, no, no. no Cannon, right. They showed Cannon. Remember, they just did close-ups of like him on the phone, <laughs> a close-up of his head. You know, close-up of the car. Mannix is the best though, because at the beginning they start with a tight shot of Mike Connors running. And then they zoom out, and you realize he's like on a bridge, and he's being chased by a guy in a car, and maybe even a helicopter. I know there's a helicopter in the opening sequence, and then he's doing karate, and then he's jumping yeah. off a building. You're exactly right. That's the classic beginning of all time. It is. Um, so then Hugh Beaumont retired in 1972 and opened a Christmas tree farm in Minnesota. How about wow. that? That's a beaverish thing to yeah. do. And he lived out his years, and he passed away, sadly, from a heart attack in 1982. Uh, but uh, anyway, I couldn't dig up any dirt on Hugh Beaumont, and I was just as happy uh, not to. Uh, and so, what, let's see, a couple other things. Oh, we talked about it. Uh, what do you think the top four or five shows are that you can think of of all time about a cute or pugnacious kid. You know, there's lots about the families. Right. Like Eight is Enough had Adam Rich, but he was just one of an ensemble right. or whatever. Right. Like that. So this is more focused. Sure, there was all the others too, but it was mainly, you know, leave it to Beaver. I, I Can you name me two or three? I've got a couple here. I just thought it would be a good brainstorm exercise. Well, you alluded to it before, courtship of Eddie's father, but... Yeah? yeah, I mean, I don't it's know. Kind of. Kind of. Like of. Yeah. Um, let me think nice. here. Um, well, Webster. Webster. Good one. I didn't think of that. All right. Now I'll go. About go ahead. Mitchell, get that boy off my lawn. Oh, you know, I hated Dennis the Menace. I never thought that show was funny at all. <laughs> Good old Mr. Wilson. Oh, and, no, I like that. Oh, he was such an asshole. Mr. Wilson, he was not likable. <laughs> yeah. And and, and Jay North was a real, he was just annoying as an actor. I didn't find that show <laughs> funny at all. All right. Well, okay. Well, we can agree to disagree on that, but it was about a pugnacious and or cute kid. Right. Um, I thought of a couple more. Do you have any others? Punky Brewster. 
Punky Brewster. I can, you want to hear my George Gaines impersonation? <laughs> of course I do. Uh, by the way, yeah, Punk, Punky, Punky Brewster, come here, Punky. And that, this is the same guy from Police Academy. Mahoney, we missed you at the Academy. Remember? That's that's <laughs> spot on. That's really one of your yeah. best. <laughs> I didn't think I was going to get the roll that out. Um, okay, a couple more. Different strokes. How about that? Well, yeah, but, but there was about? three of them. You know, Gary Coleman kind of right. took over. But, yeah, I'll give you that one. Okay. And uh, here's one way out of left field. It's not really – and he's not really a kid. He was a teenager. Right. Henry Aldrich, the all-American boy. Remember that one? No. Coming mother, Henry. Henry Aldrich. This was one that you watched on a rainy day – Black and white TV, and they showed it right after the Bowery Boys, uh, or maybe the Cisco Kid, and um, uh, maybe before uh, they were going to show a Charlie Chan marathon. It's one of those real old shows like that. Or Blondie. Remember Blondie? They used to show that, too? Well, yeah, but that wasn't wasn't a TV show. That was like a, a serial that was in the theaters. Really? Well, they showed it on TV. Well, yeah, okay. after oh, the anyway. fact, yeah. Well, and, and the other one that I want to mention, of course, that I'm sure every one of our listeners remembers, a, a show that featured a pugnacious uh, kid, was, and I forget the exact title. Yeah. I think they may have just used uh, his, the actor's real name. Of course, it was Mason, starring Mason Reese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's when I uh, was uh, tempted... <laughs> To try uh, Devilwood Underwood Ham. Remember, he was on those commercials too. Oh yeah, no, he he made about a dozen of those. Those were that. that Remember, they actually won awards. They won like a Clio award, I think, for those commercials. Yeah. yeah. Here's what I want to know: Why do they have to wrap the can in the white paper? That's a great question. You know, for yeah, that's a, uh, no for next time. That's the only can you go to the grocery store. It's the only can that's wrapped in the white paper. Au contraire. You know who else does that from time to time? Or used to. Sardines did that too. I've seen that happen. So that tells me if you've got to do an extra layer of fancy wrap, you're hiding something. Okay? <laughs> and so if you open a can of that double underwood ham, it is like a spam spread. Although spam is even grosser because you can see gelatin yeah. and you can just almost catch like a glimpse of a crushed bone in there or something. But yeah, uh, you, the devil would underwood ham. You, you know, I don't know. You have to be a little hungover to eat spam. Yeah, I would say a lot. I'd have to be pretty much like desperate, like almost getting ready to eat the tree outside before I. But you know what? I I worked with a guy, Clint Marsh, a radio guy, and I was doing TV at the time, and we had all the local radio guys come on and did a cooking segment for the noon show at WAND Indicator. Uh You know, real like TV. Last segment of a half-hour newscast. And he came and he said, this is what I'm going to do. He says, this is what I ate for four years in college. And he made macaroni and cheese and he had like maybe a special ingredient in there. I don't know. And then he put spam in there and he's cooking it up. And I'll be damned. It tasted really pretty good. (laughs) I was really surprised. This is a pet peeve of mine. There's always some guy out there that wants to cook up some shit that's gross and then it so it can make it passably taste good. But so what? You don't need to mess around with that. There's plenty to eat. You don't need to cook spam, okay? It's just like you don't need to eat chocolate-covered flies or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah. No, like I people agree. Do. 
Oh, it tastes pretty good. You'd be surprised. I don't care. I want potato chips. You know, I was on a TV show once in Fort Myers, and we had the guy bring the chocolate chip cookies with the chocolate-covered roaches. (laughs) Yeah, that's why. And I swear to you, I'm not making this up. I brought them home. I put them in the fridge. And the girl that I was cohabitating at the time with ate one of them. Oh, my God. And she's like, oh, thanks Did for bringing know? home the chocolate chip cookies. And I'm like, I, I, I couldn't tell her. I didn't know. Because it was no. like very early in our relationship. And I'm like, oh, my. And I just assumed that she had watched the broadcast. And she hadn't. So they're at home in this stuff. I know. I never to this day she has oh no idea. God. No idea. Oh my god, that's classic. But yeah, that's an example. They always say, "Well, it's very high in protein and it's yeah. sustainable." You know, it's a food source. Uh, yeah, everything's a food source if you have to make it a food source. But I'm not going to eat my dog for guys. I'm not going to eat roaches either. Boy, we have gone way off the uh, the paved road here, uh, talking about uh, eating roaches for God's sake. How can you bring us back to leave it to Beaver? Can can you possibly well, can you possibly use a George Gaines impersonation to get us back on the highway? I'll use a Richard Deacon impersonation. Ward, get those boys off my lawn and get on to another program. Lumpy's bored already with this one. <laughs> That's not a bad Richard Deacon. Your George Gaines is no, a little better, but you know. It's bad. It's bad. It's in the style of Richard Deacon. That's all I can do. A tribute to Richard Deacon, if you will. Yeah, which which would be yes. a great that'd be a great title for your one man off Broadway show, Harry Bartosiak in a tribute to Richard Deacon. I'll leave you with this: yeah. Richard Deacon, before he died, authored a book, and do you know what it was? No, I don't remember. It was a microwave cookbook. Yes, I do remember. I was going to say that, but I yes, he, a microwave cookbook. And he would do like the, the circuit. He would do like the talk shows. Yes, he would do all the talk shows. And if you see a picture of this microwave cookbook cover, it is poster worthy. In other words, it would be worth blowing up and putting above your mantle, above the fireplace or his other prominent place, because it's got... He's got like a 70s outfit on, but it's still clearly, you know, Mel Cooley or uh, Lumpy Rutherford's dad, Richard Deacon, and holding, uh, you know, he's surrounded by microwave delicacies. So, well, I love, no, I loved Richard Deacon. Now, he was, wasn't he gay? Well, yeah, he never married, and it appears. That uh, he probably was. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I didn't see any confirmation of it. But, uh, you know, not uncommon in Hollywood in, at that time, especially for that not to be coming out as public information, just, to, you know, whispers. All right. So we've talked about Leave it to Beaver. You said it was what, five seasons or six? Six seasons. And I'm not even going to get into the reboots or any of that shit. Just forget it. Well, I, we, we know the drill. No, it, and it's it, I'm glad you say that because after Tony Dow died, I actually clicked on something, and I went to one of the reboots, which is on YouTube. And I think it was on TBS. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think so, yeah. And it, For several years. Yeah, a lot of years. And it's just, uh, it's not satisfying it's at all. I think I turned it no. off after about two minutes. I'll tell you what I'd like to do. I'd like to go back and drive that Plymouth Fury from 1959 or whatever it was. I bet that was a good car. Oh, yeah. What a... My favorite talk show, and I can never remember the name of the show. It was hosted by Tom Kennedy. It was the one when 
You answer the question, and if you won at the end of the show, oh, Harry. they had like Harry. five cars. Yes, that, what was that it? was split second. And will have earned the chance to win one of these new 1974 Chevrolets. The spacious Malibu Classic four-door estate wagon. The exciting Impala two-door sports coupe. The sporty Laguna two-door colonnade hardtop. The racy Nova two-door hatchback coupe. Or the sleek Vega two-door hatchback. Today on Split Second. And now, the host of our show, Tom Kennedy. Split Second with Tom Kennedy. Yes. Right? He had the glasses and... And then they would give you the key. And if you pick the car that the key went to, you get the car. I mean, that was drama. Yeah, that was fun. And they, they were like brown and green and burnt orange car. Classic boats up there. There was an El Camino, you know. So you, you didn't, but you didn't just pick the one you wanted. You know, they had, there was some strategy to it. It was like playing the slots or something like that. Well, and they had. That's where you saw If I remember correctly, they had like a sports car, a family car, an economy car. I, they ran the gambit. You had a real good selection to choose from. Like, you yeah. know, if you were a mom with three kids at home, you'd take Pacer. the station. Yeah, pay, I don't remember what they were. <laughs> yeah. But I but I do remember if you won, you got, a, you got a chance to start the car. If it didn't start and you won again the next week, then they only had four keys. So it was like your odds were better of winning the car. Ah, that's right. So eventually you get the car no matter if what? You won, if you won, yeah. If you times? won five days, by the fifth day, you would automatically get the car, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But that was fun, though, yeah. when the, when they hit it and they and the key turned over, the engine rolled over. Whoa. Yeah. Big, big time fun. I was very happy right. for the contest. That reminds me, okay, in our next extravaganza, we've got to do game shows not the biggies not family feud or match game but just you know middling game shows that we remember from the 60s 70s 80s and 90s because yeah. split second is one we of those it. like sale of the century there's another one you know hmm i didn't hear that one okay well let's get on it for sure i'm gonna start researching now while you're talking all right well you, you should because no, you probably yeah. should have another activity as I'm talking about my show, and it was perfect. Ah, come no, on. I'm serious. It's perfect that you picked Leave It to Beaver, which is just a steak and potatoes and green beans type show with an ice cold Diet Coke. I mean, just good, healthy Americana fare. Because I'm going to go down a different road, and we're going to go uh -huh. back to uh, 1974 to 1978. Now, that's when this show was on originally. But it, yeah. it wasn't a show back then. It was a sketch on a variety show, all right, from 74 oh, to 78. And then later on, and I'm scrolling through here. I want to make sure I got the right years. From 83 to 85, they spun it off, if you will, and it became its own show. And then in 86, it went to first-run syndication, which it did for four years. So as a show on its own, it was on for six seasons and 130 episodes. And, well, it, it, was, it was originally, and I'm so embarrassed I picked this show, but I just want to talk about it because, for me, it is a punchline. It, it, it is one of the most puzzling shows of all time. It started as a sketch on the Carol Burnett Show, Oh, no. Don't do it, man. I'm pulling the plug right now. 
I can't hear you, Mother Harper. Okay, now see, that's the only funny thing about Mama's family because it was on when it was on Carol Burnett, Tim Conway's character was funny, but that was it. There was nothing else funny about it, in my opinion. Nothing. Matter of fact, it was so disappointing because these were the funniest people. We loved the people in the Carol Burnett show, and like the mix on this thing was. Like, no, it's bad. Who? And I wondered while I was watching it. I'm like, who likes this show? Yeah. Who? Because par- our, I was watching it still as a younger person. Like, are parents liking this show? Because even Harvey Corman and Tim Conway together, they were so damn funny. I mean, some of the, the classic straight man, funny man stuff right up there with Abbott and Costello as far as I'm concerned. But this didn't play at all. I didn't like those characters. No, I thought the sketch was very, very weak. And there's one classic episode where Tim Conway goes off on a tangent and he talks about two elephants that had intertwining trunks. And he makes that kind of funny. And there are bloopers of that on YouTube. But other than that, when you would watch the sketch, and trust me, I actually did my research and I typed in Mama's Family, Carol Burnett Show, And I remember one episode that I saw many years ago where they play charades. And all their... I remember. Yes. And they're just yelling at each other. And it's not funny. And Mama's a real bitch. That's all they do. Yeah, that's all they do. Carol Burnett yells at the mother. And the mother yells back and pouts. And Eunice. And Ken Berry's in the middle of it all. Well, yeah. Now, that's on the real show. On the Carol Burnett, it was, you know, obviously Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. Then, of course, you know, Carol Burnett wasn't on the show when it became a sitcom uh, in 80. Let's see. And again, I just got to go to the notes here. From 83 to 85, it was Vicki Lawrence, Ken Berry, Dorothy Lyman, who played the Eunice character. Rue McClanahan, Betty White was on for a while, Beverly Archer. So, I, yeah. in, in the, And then near the end, when they went to syndication, they had one of the younger actors play a, a character named Bubba. And I think that was at, yeah yeah it was like, like a punk kid. Lyle Wagner no it wasn't Lyle Wagner no Lyle Wagner wasn't on Mom's Family the sitcom he was on Carol Burnett but they now there's a guy by the way I didn't mean to interrupt but since I already have uh, you didn't ever hear from Lyle Wagner much except maybe being on the Love Boat or something like that but he was like he appeared on the Carol Burnett show I I first saw him there and then never again. Well, and he seemed like a perfectly, yeah, I don't know, was he just a straight man, good-looking guy, looked like he belonged on like a Gillette commercial or something. Well, see, like you're that. missing something obvious, and I'm glad you did, because it proved that you are a red-blooded yeah. American, <laughs> and you never even saw him, but he was in every goddamn episode of Wonder Woman. Oh, he was? I forgot about see? that. I think you're telling yeah, right, okay, yeah. yeah. Well, for, I was thinking that was James Brolin or something like that. You know, I, I just remember as a kid, even before I was really interested in girls, I would watch Wonder Woman and I'd say, my goodness, those are very large breasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were enhanced by the costume. That has to be one of the best costumes of all. Of any sitcom, or not sitcom, but of any television show at all time, uh, you know, you know, we yeah. don't want to get no Linda too deep. Li- into no it, Linda Carter but. was was definitely a beauty, and even when she was like the the scientist, when she'd wear the glasses and put her hair up, yeah, I'm st- oh you could tell, yeah, me. you're like wait a minute, yeah, you wear the glasses, she's still a knockout yeah. for God's sake. Oh, I have glasses though. This means that you know I'm I'm not supposed to be pretty. G- give me a break. Come on. 
I follow Linda Carter on Twitter. She's still very beautiful, you know, for her age. I mean, she's still very beautiful today. She's, uh, you know, not surprising. When some some of them have it all the way along. Lyle Wagner, same thing. But it, was he a good actor? Not uh, really. No. Did he do anything remarkable? Anything funny on the character? Well, he was strictly a straight man. I'm not criticizing. I'm just no. saying. He, he he didn't drive the boat on any of the skits. He was very ever, much, right? he was kind of an auxiliary player. He was kind of like your second tight end off yeah. the bench. But he was good on Carol Burnett. Didn't you, didn't you tell me that David Letterman was on Carol Burnett, too? No, he was on Mary Tyler Moore when she had a variety show. Oh, that's yeah, right. David Letterman yeah. and Michael Keaton were part of her short-lived variety oh. show, yeah. Oh, okay, I thought he was on the Mary Tyler Moore show. Not the variety show, but the regular show. So that makes sense, because I could never remember an episode with David Letterman on it and Ted Baxter, for example. Well, you know, you mentioned that Linda Carter looks great, so I'll just bring us back to reality and talk about Vicki Lawrence, who at one time was a very good-looking woman when she did the Carol Burnett show. But my Lord, it's like, when, especially after she did Mama's Family, it's almost like she became Mother Harper. She, she got that Liberty Bell figure where her butt, she didn't need the fat suit when they did the sitcom. I mean, her butt was wide, and she just yeah. she just lost her looks very quickly. Does she look like Mother Harper today? Well, I think she does because since 2001, off and on, she's been doing like a one-woman comedy show. I think it's called Vicky and Mama. Hang on, I think I have the sk- uh, script down here. Uh, yeah, Vicki Lawrence and Mama, a two-woman show. She does that at theaters sometimes, and that'd not be one that I don't think I would buy a ticket to see. Do you think they named Mother Harper after the song that Vicki Lawrence did, Harper Valley PTA? Wait a minute. She didn't do that song. I thought that was... Or did she? Yeah, she did. Oh. She did. Well, You're thinking of... And Billy Joe McAllister jumped off the Tallahassee. Well, Vicki Lawrence's big hit was That's the Night That the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Oh, that's right. That's the night that the lights went out in Georgia. But didn't she do Harper Valley PTA? Wasn't that a TV show, too? It was, and it starred Barbara Eden, but I thought Barbara sang the song. But maybe you're right. No! Didn't Dolly Parton sing Harper Valley PTA? Hmm. All right. Well, this is is definitely correction stuff. Uh, she sang that song. Um, wait a minute. What was it again? Uh, the night the lights went out in Georgia. So was she a singer or was this a celebrity like one-time thing? Like remember when Leonard Nimoy made an album or William Shatner or something like that? And this just happened to hit. I'll put the whole story in the corrections, but the way I remember yeah. it is it was either her husband or her manager had written the song and someone was supposed to record it and they dropped out at the last minute. So they went to Vicky, <laughs> I swear to you, and they said, well, listen, would you sing it? And she's like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll sing it. And just one of those things, yeah. you know, went to the top of the charts or close anyway. I, I remember now. I think it was Orson Welles who was supposed to sing it, but he said he couldn't work under those conditions. Orson. Last minute. He was drunk. I, well, and that'll get. I won't sing no wine before the night the lights went out in Georgia. Indeed, not. I'm out. I can't work under these conditions. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because that'll allow me to throw a drop in of Orrin's Welk. Or Orrin's. Orrin, 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 Orrin,
one of the clips from YouTube. <laughs> one, oh, two, take one. With overlap, action please. Action awesome, please. You just do anything? No, it's a, sorry, cut. Yeah, rolling. One, oh, two, take two. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson, inspired by that same French excellence. It's fermented in the bottle, and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So, Paul Masson. 102, take three. Action, please. Ah, the French champagne has always been celebrated for its excellence. There is a California champagne by Paul Masson. And it's fermented in the bottle and like the best French champagne, it's vintage dated. So Cut. Paul Masson super. All right, so Vicki Lawrence did Mama's Family for 83 to 86. It got canceled on the network because of low ratings. But then for some reason in the reruns, the summer reruns, it became popular. So then, well, it was 83 to 85 on the network. Then late in 86, they said, hey, the, the, the ratings were good. Let's bring it back in first-run syndication. They did... F- Wait. Yeah. When did it become popular? Well, it was on the network from 83 to 85. Then in 86, it did syndication for four four seasons. And that's when oh. it was, you know, I guess popular, popular enough to stay on the air. And it wasn't even canceled, believe it or not. They just dis- Was it around the time of Three Mile Island when they had that accident? It was Were the ratings higher there, like when people had exposed to radiation? Is there some something to explain this? Because there's no way no, in hell uh, there has to people be, got no, that stupid. Th- there has to be something because and it, it'll be on TV every now and then. It was on me TV, I think, for a while. And I would yeah. see it, and I literally, Harry, could not reach the remote control fast enough to turn even the theme song. I couldn't stand to listen to the opening theme song because it was so mediocre. Who sings it? No, it's just an instrumental. And it's kind of a Dixieland yeah. instrumental, so you think I would like it, but it was so bad and generic. And it's in, in the open is just like a wide shot of the house. And then like snapshots of everyone, like, you know, a picture of, of Vicki Lawrence on a mantelpiece, and then Ken Berry, and then whomever the uh, the one who played Eunice. And then Mother Harper comes out. And That's Carol Burnett. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, Carol Burnett wasn't on the sitcom. No, she was never on the sitcom. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, who did play Eunice? Well, it was some. Yeah, I think it was Dorothy mm. Lyman and then Beverly Archer. But I'll put that in the corrections. Mm. Not Beverly Garland. No, I don't think so. No. Yeah. But I mean, you know who Beverly no, Garland was? No, who was Beverly Garland? She. She. When when my three sons jumped the shark when Fred McMurray got married. Again, to Beverly Garland on My Three Sons. Oh, okay. I forgot about that. My Three Sons went through so many transformations because the oldest guy left, and then they brought in, what was his name, Chip? Was he the youngest? Well, no, Chip was the middle. It was was Mike, and he left, and it was Robbie and Chip, and they brought in Ernie, Ernie. younger, who was actually probably one of the best ones. But they also, don't forget, Uncle Charlie wasn't the original uh, uncle on the show. Do you know who was? Well, yeah, it was. Uh, oh God, now I'm, I'm blanking. Um, 
Fred Mertz. Uh, he played Bub. What, Fred, what was his name? Bub. That's right. Yeah. Fred Mertz. Yeah, no, that's the character's name. What's the actor's <laughs> name, you dumbass? Um, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Oh, we know this, for God's sake. Um, <laughs> William Frawley. William Frawley. William Frawley. <laughs> Bub. Hi, Ricky. You know, and, yeah, and, and like right. you mentioned William before, you never catch a bub. When you watch <laughs> uh, My Three no. Sons in syndication, you never get a bub. I think those episodes got stuck in Jackie Gleason's um, uh, locker uh, and melted or something like that because you never see any of those. That Once in a while when they had a reunion show, they would show like a little clip of Bub and Mike and um, his wife when they get married, but they never show those. It's always the the color ones. Yeah. Well, maybe that's Listen, it. Steve, I, I'm running this house now, and if I want to have donuts for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, that's what we're going to do. And that, of course, the great William Demarest, fine character actor. You know, when he died, I wore a black armband to high school. That day. Oh, come on. I did, yes. <laughs> did anyone ask you why you were wearing a black armband? Well, my friend and I did. It was an ironic joke. Like we were thought, oh, how funny we would right. be if we wore armbands, you know. But turns out, I think it was appropriate. But uh, now he was a guy. He was in a lot of stuff in the forties and fifties. Yeah. You'll you'll be watching a movie like a western or something, and all of a sudden he shows uh-huh. up as like the saloon keeper or yeah. the drunk deputy or something like that. He he had a great yeah. career. Chuck wagon master. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, oh my God, yeah, William Demarest. He was old Navy man. Uh, oh, his well, character, there he goes. Uncle Charlie. Yeah, very cool. No, not in real life, oh. on, on My Three Sons. Maybe he was in real life, too, but remember, that's why he was in the Navy. That's why he would ship-shape this, get this oh, place Oh, that's order. right. And wasn't he a cook in the Navy? And that's why he was so, yeah. okay, so that's why he was so good at doing all the kitchen stuff. Okay, that makes sense. Right. All right, so getting back to Mama's family, I am just, to this day, amazed that that show ever made it into syndication and then first well it made it to the network then first run syndication because every time that i have tried to watch an episode it is remarkably unfunny to the point of where you think Mm. that the writers are trying to not be funny i'm glad it's not just me yeah it is it's violently unfunny and it's so offensive as i said because you're talking about Carol Burnett people, the yeah. beloved people that we love and uh, we would put on a Mount Rushmore if we could, that kind of thing. And then they did this and it was successful and we're still exposed to it all these years later. Yeah. No, oh, it ain't right. It's still on one of the networks. I should know this, but I, I got so frustrated just having to do research on Mama's Family. I kind of bailed halfway. But <laughs> but it's still one of my favorite punchlines. I remember writing a joke once in a, a, a script and I was talking about something very unusual happening. And I said, you know what? That's like hearing the phrase, and the Emmy goes to Mama's Family. <laughs> <laughs> That's funnier than anything I've heard on that show. <laughs> All right, this is a very guilty gym, back with the corrections. Guilty. Because I still can't believe I picked Mama's Family. Harry, I'm really sorry about that. I owe you one, pal. Harper Valley PTA. Written by the great Tom T. Hall. And it was sung by Jeannie Riley, who I really don't remember. 
Reba redid it many years later and had a hit with it too, but Jeannie Riley was the one who had the original hit. Now, Vicki Lawrence recorded that song that we mentioned, That's the Night That the Lights Went Out in Georgia. Her husband at the time was Bobby Russell. He wrote it, he pitched it to Liza Minnelli, she said no. He pitched it to Cher. She was interested, but Sonny said, no, you can't do that song. It's going to alienate all of your fans in the South. So Vicki Lawrence said, well, if no one else is going to sing it, why the hell don't I? She sang it. It became a big hit. There you go. There's the story. Thanks for listening to Down the TV Rabbit Hole. We will see you next time. So long now.